If you're looking to sell your private company's stock, SharesPost has a solution for you. With more than $4 billion in company-approved transactions, SharesPost is the leading marketplace for private company shares. To learn more, visit us at sharespost.com equity. Hello, and welcome back to Equity, TechCrunch's venture capital podcast. I'm TechCrunch reporter Kate Clark, and I am joined by my co-host, Crunchbase News Editor-in-Chief, Alex Wilhelm. How's it going, Alex? Uh, It's going well. It's a beautiful Thursday, and I'm somewhat excited because this is the last time you and I are going to be remote recording the show for, I think, four episodes. And critically, it's the next one that I think I'm the most excited about because you are flying to Boston. I am taking the train to Boston, and we are going to meet up with a roughly Boston resident by the name of Dan Premack, who is currently at Axios, who we both love. And he's coming on the show. I'm, that's going to be fantastic. I'm very excited. I'm spending a couple days in Boston, then taking the train to New York, spending some time in New York where I'll get to meet with some founders and VCs in a totally different market, which will be a nice change of pace. Um, and then when we get back, we have a live episode at, well, it's not live, but we have an episode at Y Combinator's Demo Day where we'll be interviewing Michael Siebel, who is CEO of Y Combinator. Yeah, I'm flying back uh, after Boston before Demo Day, and then I'll be back in SF for a few weeks. And then later on that same week, we're going to have someone named John uh, Vrionis, we think that's right, from Unusual Ventures, critically not obvious ventures, Unusual Ventures, uh, where he, quote, leads investments into enterprise startups. So I think yes. that's four episodes consecutively, which, oh, and the week after I'll still be in town. So four uh, IRL. It'll be fun. Yeah, we have pretty much just a ton of really awesome guests and content lined up, and I'm really excited to get going with it. Yeah, well, let's get this week uh, done, if you will. Let's kind of churn through it. We have a mix of things this week that that are all pretty good, Um there's been some breaking news that we'll get to at the very, very end, but we're going to start off by going backwards a little bit, Kate, and talk about the market turmoil from the week. If you were under a rock, let me tell you that the trade environment has led to the global stock market taking a bit of a whacking lately. And one thing that caught my eye was not only did tech stocks kind of in the Tuesday, Wednesday area take a, a bigger hit than the other parts of the stock market, it seemed that SaaS and cloud stocks took the biggest hit of all. So if the market fell by X, tech stocks fell by like X, times 1.5, and then cloud stocks were down even further. Um, and it struck me as kind of a, a, almost like a warning sign that if the market does change dramatically, these companies that have done so well, as public companies, you know, SaaS firms in general, um, could take more of a hit. Uh, I, I'm curious, Kate, did you, did you think this was another kind of one-time blip, or did this feel a bit more serious, like a long-term issue? Uh, when you saw it. It's so hard to say because when these things happen, it's like like we talked about before we started taping, people do act like the world's ending. So I think someone like me, who I've not been, you know, giving a shit about stocks for very long. So now when I when I hear that, that these major events like stock market crashes, um, it does seem like a really big deal. But I mean, take a step back. It does happen. And how are things going today? Uh, well, things have kind of stabilized. Like the, the Chinese government stopped supporting their currency and it fell below a critical level. And then they kind of undid that. And then our president is known for his um, calmness of character and tact. Uh, and so yes. there's been no problems there whatsoever. But but to me, just seeing how the market uh, reacted to a shock and saw seeing what took the biggest hit seemed almost like foreshadowing. Um, but one thing we also know is that these SaaS companies are currently valued at kind of historically high revenue multiples. And so if they get whacked like 10, 15% or so, they'll still be down to very strong revenue multiples. So it's not like this is the end of the world. It's just maybe some of the um, 
the foam will come off of the, you know, markets like uh, fluff. Yeah, when we see these stock market corrections beyond, you know, just speaking to these tech stocks, I think it reminds me of how much of a bubble we kind of live in with this like VC beat we're on. I'm just so used to focusing so much on the private market. So it's it's just I think what I'm trying to say is that it's a nice reminder that's like, okay, there's a lot more going on than what we talk about on this podcast. Yeah, for sure. And the reason why, thank you for reminding me what yeah. show we're on. The reason why I bring all this up <laughs> it's is- It's called equity. Yeah, yeah, well, you know, private markets, that's the thing. <laughs> I just, I love stocks so much. I have to like pull know, myself back from watching the stock market. Um, the reason why it matters to this show about private companies in the world of private capital is that sentiment trickles backwards in the public markets. So if every single SaaS company got repriced by 50%, valuations among startups will be repriced as well because it would limit their upside and their potential exit value. The same thing happens in reverse. So if stocks go up, it's good for startups. Talking about SaaS stocks is like, couldn't be a more uninteresting topic to me. You know, I think I re- today, Alex sent me a Slack message that was something like, earnings, yay! So I just want to, Alex loves earnings and he loves stocks and he loves SaaS. And these are three things I hate. I mean, it's like saying you hate like strawberry whipped creams and cake. Like, I mean, like how fascinating. (laughs) And I'm sorry, I don't hate them. That's a strong word. I obviously don't hate these things, but well, SaaS is pretty, they're dry topics. They're just very dry topics. And and I think the rest of our agenda has some, some of what I consider more exciting, less dry topics. All right, fine. If secular shifts in how we sell trillions of dollars of products is uninteresting, <laughs> we should move it on to something that is better and turn to the private markets as we, as we do. Uh, actually, to a story that I'm really excited about. So this is a startup called Squad, which is blowing up uh, out of my vision, actually. I didn't see this happening. So what's, uh, what's up? So it's new. Um, they did a quiet launch in January. The company is called Squad. It is a mobile app. Um, it's just for hanging out with your friends. So basically, just download the app and then add your friends. You do a video chat, but at the same time, you actually share screens. So that means, Alex, like if you had the app and I had it, we could watch a YouTube video together or you could look at my Twitter DMs or like, you know, other use cases that Esther Crawford, who's the CEO, told me people watch each other on Tinder, like help each other with matches. They actually plan vacations on Airbnb. They listen to music together on Spotify. There's a, there's a lot of stuff that's going on. Many of these use cases, which she said were actually kind of surprising. And uh, also what has surprised the company is the audience of users so 70 percent of the users are teenage girls and they've really they've recorded four hundred and fifty thousand users in eight months so they're seeing a lot of awesome organic growth they've not yet paid for any marketing okay so i want to go back to the product yeah. really quick so essentially uh if you and i were on squad i could like essentially do a screen share like on zoom or whatever else but it's a mobile phone screen share yeah okay that's that's new to me i feel like i don't have, have i heard of anyone else doing that right before? totally so you know, there's no other apps that have done this, at least in a way that's really tapped into the mainstream market. So my my colleague Josh Constein did a story on Squad kind of around when it launched before they raised money. And I think the headline was Squad is the app that everyone's going to copy. And it's true because it doesn't it seem like something that you that would already exist. Yes. Yeah. That's why I asked, have I heard of this before? Because I mean, it's the iPhone's been out for like 12 years now, something yeah. like that. Like how has no one thought of People have thought of it, I'm sure, but why has no one bought a functional, consumer-friendly product to the market that has this? Right, and I think I think there are some reasons why. I mean, I think mainly being that there are some privacy issues with it. Because, like, you know, if, if I block someone on Twitter, if they have a friend who I have not blocked, they could squad and, like, go look at my profile on Twitter. Like, there are just, you know, there are things like, like, like that, which make squad a potentially dangerous tool. But, uh, you know, these are things that Esther, like, brought up herself and that she's thinking about a lot. They're, they're thinking of adding new features like alerting users if they're if they were screenshotted, you know, kind of like how Snap was or is. Um, I have not used Snap in a while, but like, you know, they didn't know it was going to be all these teenage girls. And she said that 
like again without marketing the product there's girls in Saudi Arabia and like India who are using this it's like all over the world she's found users and they're all they've all been pretty young young women that's one of the best parts this is off topic but like if you ever yeah. watch like Google Analytics or whatever analytics service you, your your publication uses and seen like ah oh, you're being read in like you know Bangalore I, yeah. I love that global effect of the internet that never gets old no totally you just have no idea really where like how how much of a reach you can have so the news actually with squad they did raise five million dollars this is their first round of funding it's a seed round it's obviously a pretty big one you know it's yes. even seeping into series uh, a territory you know they want they want to hire a lot of people they want product designers they want people who can figure out these marketing campaigns to make this app like the next snap the next Instagram so I don't know I'm excited to see what they do next. Yes, I, I, I think this is really, really cool. And one thing that we were we were chatting a little bit on when we were putting this agenda together was there isn't as many new consumer social apps as there used to be. Like if you go back like six years ago to like uh, South by Southwest, everyone was trying to be the new hot consumer social app. Now, no one does that. Snap is the closest thing we have to a company that's in this space. But here we have from a different angle um, with a different target market made by not dudes from Stanford, if you will, and seen success. And that's this is what you would hope to see in terms of innovation and change. Yeah, I mean, in the time that I've been covering VC and startups, there hasn't really been much, many consumer players, or sorry, consumer social players emerge aside from TikTok. Yeah, like we don't need another Snap. We already have Twitter. Uh, but this way, this idea of like super intimate, because screen sharing is by definition super intimate. You could get a text from someone, you know, you're really saying, here's my personal life, take a look in real time. Um, I think it's great. I, I, I actually, for the first time in a long time, want to download a new social app um, and like just play around for five minutes and see how it works. Right. And it is fun to play around with. And it's nice to see a founder in this space that has a little bit of a different background. So like uh, with as with Facebook and Instagram and Snap, all of those founders come from Ivy League schools, mainly Stanford. Esther comes from or went to Oregon State University. She's from Oregon. She's worked in startups. She was an early content creator on YouTube. I think she had like some million YouTube followers early wow. days um yeah she just she's basically just been somebody who's really interested in the internet and she said that her daughter basically one day was like mom like is there an app i can get to like look at my friend's phone screens and there wasn't so she just sort of was like well maybe i should just create it and here we are like maybe two years later that's that's so cool and according to um some stuff that i read i think like 30 percent of their cap table is women and i think 30 percent are also people of color so it's a very diverse um makeup of the investor set as well, not just, you know, the founding team being not standard Stanford bro. Yeah. Another thing she was just like, if I'm going to do this, I want to do it right. I like one of the things she said to me, she was like, if I'm going to get really rich or like, if I'm going to make a bunch of people rich, like it needs to be the right people. And I was like, that's, a, I mean, that's a good way to think about it. Cause obviously the goal is to make a bunch of money. Like they're a startup, they're venture backed. Like they're gonna, that's what they want to do. So you should be real about it. And she was, she's just like, I don't want like a bunch of assholes getting really rich off me. And so with that said, like she was really careful about who invested in her company. Like, like you just said, 30% women, 30% people of color. Um, Haley Barna of First Round Capital, who is the only female GP at First Round, um, actually led the round. So yeah, I mean, I, like, you know, it's just kind of one of those stories where there's a lot of refreshing elements to it. Yeah, it's, it's exciting and different, um, which is something that we haven't had on the show it, since, uh, don't kill me, since the scooters first arrived. That was... <laughs> That was exciting and new for like two minutes. I promise I won't bring it up. But. <laughs> I won't kill you. I like scooters a lot better than SAS. Wow. Our friendship is now officially over. All right. Uh, back to the story, though. Um, there's a great quote uh, that I want to read a little bit from about um, how the founder of Squad views the market. She says that girls have been completely pushed off of Twitch. Uh, and I thought it was a, a brilliant point. A lot of spaces online that are social and built for interactions are very hostile to women. And, you know, people will talk about how Fortnite is a place where friends hang out together. 
and have communities mm-hmm. often aren't open to lots of other people. They're often open to essentially young men, but not anyone else. And so to have places where other demographics and people can feel safe and feel um, social is fantastic. I love seeing uh, more good space for people to be human created. That's a net positive for like the human race. Hey everyone, don't forget this episode is brought to you by Shares Post. All right, moving on. Uh, oh, this is fun. D2C men's fertility startups are raising money. There are two of them. There's been new capital. What's the latest? Latest is, now don't laugh, but the latest is that a company called Daddy has raised a $5 million seed extension. So I say seed extension because it wasn't labeled an A. So, I mean, and they previously raised $2 million in seed funding. So it's kind of only, you know, has to be sort of like a continuation of that last round. So they've now raised $7 million. They've not changed their name from Daddy, despite the fact that they are highly mocked <laughs> online. Um, it's terrible. It's spelled D-A-D-I, by the way. It's not even and you know, correctly. And, and seg- like this somewhat unrelated, but like startups are running out of names. Like there are not enough names left. No, I like, like I just, I met this YC company recently and they literally, they wanted one word as their name and they wanted the word spelled right. And so they just picked one that they could get. And I'm not going to say what it's called because I don't want to like, I just, I don't want to like put them on the spot. They're so young, but people are out of names. There's not enough names left. So I, I kind of don't blame daddy because they probably tried their best to get something relevant and that's the best they could get. I mean, you and I both work for companies that have the word crunch in the name. I mean, like that's not exactly the, uh, the most obvious thing for like tech focused publications. Anyways, right. I agree with you, right. but daddy, <laughs> D-A-D-I apparently is not the only company yes. raising in this space. A firm called Legacy raised before, I think. Yeah. So Legacy raised one and a half million. Legacy is currently in Y Combinator though. So like it's, I mean, they will, they will surely raise another round soon because YC encourages companies to raise when they're finishing off the accelerator because they'll get better terms. And like, obviously they've got all the hype. They've got a lot of access. So, you know, my guess is um, we'll hear from Legacy probably maybe three, four months from now when they're ready to announce it. So both companies provide direct consumer testings for male fertility. So they'll send you a test. You'll provide a sample. You'll mail it back to them. They'll send you a fertility report. Legacy provides lifestyle recommendations if they see any, you know, maybe uh, maybe some issues in your report. And then both companies will store your sperm for you. So the idea being that like if you if you send them a sample when you're younger like and you want to use that sperm like when you've gotten a little bit older and are ready to have kids like they'll have stored it for you the thing is though it's very expensive to do this one year of sperm storage i think legacy uh, sorry daddy charges roughly $200 whereas legacy has a slightly different model in which they charge $20 per month of sperm storage I mean, so two thoughts about that. One, it's expensive because it's 200 bucks a year that you could otherwise have. But given that um, male fertility is declining at the national level, you can look this up. Sperm counts for men are falling over time. Uh, as a cohort of men, not just you getting older, I mean, men in general are seeing declining sperm counts and declining uh, fertility rates in general. It's maybe actually some of the cheapest thing money you'll spend because if you don't have later fertility issues, it's probably cheaper if you can do this along the way. I mean, I think that men don't know enough about their own sexual health to even know that this could be an issue. I think we used to always blame women for any fertility issues because we presumed that men were fine. turns out it takes two to tango, as the old saying goes, and men can have, men can be the issue in fertility, so. Yeah, men are just as likely to be the issue. It's one third, one third of the time 
it's men one third of the time it's women one third of the time it's it's both men and women combined causing some kind of problem and you're right like the problem is that there's not really enough of a dialogue for young, like young men and older men about this so I think it's it's really great to get companies getting funding because then they can really expand and get their message out the thing is though sperm storage that's not new it's not like these companies are inventing it so they're probably charging you more so what I would say is like if you're if you're a man interested in maybe engaging with one of these companies just do your research first because like there may be some sort of like direct consumer tax because they do make it easier by by sending kind of a DIY kit they can probably charge more I don't know I mean I'm not like an expert in how much sperm storage costs obviously but I would just say look into it before you do this, and I think the same can be said for com- the erectile dysfunction companies like Roe and Hims. I think I'm guessing there's there's probably a premium for paying for those ED meds than there would be if you just got it from your friendly neighborhood pharmacy. Could be. I, I don't want to dispute that, but I mean, I think on the education point, yeah. the only time I ever heard of men freezing or storing their sperm was when they were going through chemotherapy, I think, and that was the only time it ever kind of yes. came up as a thing that you would do. Um, yeah. Obviously, it has much larger application than that, and you know, we joke about daddy's name and whatever, but like, I mean, they're probably in a pretty good spot in the market given kind of big trends in fertility and also rising awareness of, uh, of men's portion. So probably intelligent daddy, change your name, uh, and yeah. all will be well, I think. Oh, do you want to talk about the, uh, radiation proof boxers before we move on? Yeah. So I, I went to an event last night just to meet with some fertility people at the intersection of tech and fertility. And I met this founder of a company called Lambs and he creates radiation proof boxers for men. So the idea being that we're not really sure yet the effects of cell phone usage, well, cell phones in our pockets on male sperm count. So he has created radiation-proof boxers to protect men. In case there is an issue with that. Yes. And I, he, he, he admitted that it wasn't the most scientific. They have done kind of their own version of clinical study. And I say that lightly. I mean, they... they they did some kind of experiment internally in which one of the sounds like one of the founders actually wore them for, I don't know. Yeah. They, they, they <laughs> tested it out somehow. <laughs> and, um, you know, they seem to think like it was a, a necessary invention. So I don't, I mean, I have no idea what kind of sales they might have. It sounds like they're really early, but, um, I don't know, not a, if there does turn out to be a problem, obviously a very, very important thing would be these, but I just thought it was kind of an interesting company. Well, now I want to put my phone in my back pocket. All right, putting that aside, we're going to turn back to one of uh, a company we've talked about a number of times on the show, Postmates. And there's kind of two bits of news out from them. One is they're going to have permission to send robot delivery things around San Francisco, which I'm pretty excited about. And two, mm-hmm. they have a partnership uh, involving stadiums, I think, Kate. This is kind of like a you can order ahead with Postmates and then go pick things up to avoid lines at a stadium somewhere at a sports thing. Yeah, honestly, when I see when I see companies announce things related to stadiums, I just immediately delete the email. So I, I don't know a ton about that one. But I do know about the Postmates permitting situation. So they're expected to get the first permit that SF is going to assign to a company that will actually let them test sidewalk robots. So these are just aut- semi-autonomous delivery robots, which people think, you know, are going to be a big, big uh thing in the future so soon enough we may be seeing tons and tons of these robots kind of just wandering about town but for now i think it'll just be a few i think it's fun because one of the cool things about living in san francisco is it sort of feels like this experiment for the future at times like you see autonomous vehicles all the time cruise vehicles just wander you know testing about town like every day all the time and you see people on one wheels and like e-scooters and just all these weird things just everywhere so i think this will be another one of those developments where you're like oh look there's a there's a little Postmates robot. Okay, but the difference between this, though, and some of the other things you mentioned is that I'm excited about this, and I'm not excited about them. So I've never seen 
a 35 year old man in Soma on a one wheel and gone, ah, brilliant, that's the right choice. That'll improve the world. These though are great because if they do work, it should lower the cost of deliveries uh, for people like myself mm -hmm. who are lazy. And they're super cute. They have little googly eyes in the front, which is adorable. I mean, like, I think this is neat. And if Postmates pulls this off, there will be other companies that do similar things. And so we could see fleets of these bad boys, bad girls, I don't know if they're gendered, bad robots uh, yeah. out there. Yeah. Yeah, definitely not gendered. They have like um, eyes though, or quote unquote eyes, so that you um, emphasize, emphasize with them. Because I think, I mean, a big issue with these robots is, is the prospect of vandalization. You know, you said, yeah, it's like a net positive bringing good to the world and whatever. But just one, you know, you have to think about the fact that there are Postmates delivery people, but there will still be delivery people who kind of like drive to certain areas and then disperse the bots. Mm -hmm. So I think there's, there's so people aren't going to be losing their jobs necessarily, but these are going to kind of facilitate and accelerate the process of delivery. Yeah, yeah. I don't see these as a way to get rid of human. I think yeah, Postmates exactly. calls their delivery people Postmates. So it won't get rid of human Postmates, but it may extend what they can do and where they can deliver. It may lower some costs and it may speed up some deliveries. And like that matrix of things is, is, a, is a good thing. Uh, I don't think we're going to see the end of the gig economy because of this. Of course, because like these, these Postmates robots aren't going to be able to go like two miles to pick up my Chinese food and then back two miles to my apartment. Like it, I think they're going to be kind of, they're, go they're going to be assisted by actual employees. And they're also, like I said, they're semi-autonomous, which means there is a human being that's making sure, like that's watching every single one of them at all times, ensuring that they're not getting beat up or running into cars or whatever it may be. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, please don't kick them because they have eyes and therefore they're people. Um, they'll, they are cute. They're definitely they cute. Are cute. Uh, last thought on this, and we can move on. Yeah. Um, we have an image up in our little notes document of a, of a woman taking the package out. It's a bigger robot than I expected. I thought it was going to be smaller than that, but I guess you have to have relatively large wheels to go over like sidewalk cracks. So maybe it has to be large enough to hold like four orders. I mean, it just, that's not a small robot. That's like the size of like a like a, like, I don't know, like a newspaper box. I mean, it's it's the size of like a 10-year-old kid, I feel like. Well, if a 10-year-old kid slash newspaper box, it's bigger than I expected. So I'm looking forward to seeing these <laughs> uh, yeah, I, in the city. I, I think that it is a really great development, but I also feel like these are just going to run into people on electric scooters and like the whole thing is just going to cause a lot of injuries. No, yeah, but it's going to lead to a lot of really funny tweets, though, which yeah. is not, not to be dismissed as a... I can't... I'm, I'm excited to see the first one, just like in the wild. Anyways, let's uh, let's move on to our last thing, which is Airbnb. Oh, right. So we're going to do a quick thing on this. Airbnb is moving into uh, a kind of a different type of vertical as it grows. It's going to go public. It's not going public yet. We're going to bring it up infrequently on the show, but don't forget about it. It's still out there. It's still worth a bunch of money. Uh, Kate, who did it buy? Airbnb bought a company called Urban Door. And the whole, the whole idea behind this is a growing part of its business comes from business travelers. So recently, they kind of updated the platform to make it way easier for business travelers to actually know which Airbnbs would be appropriate for them to book. And that kind of means like, is it in the right part of town? Does it have the right resources? Like, does it have what a business traveler might need? Because they do have unique, unique needs. So I think, um, you know, just after that, they've now acquired a business that is specifically focused on corporate travelers. So, I, you know, it's just a good way to sort of expand the what they can offer that growing subset of Airbnb users. Yeah, I mean, Airbnb needs to make sure that it's still showing strong revenue growth and kind of breaking into new verticals inside the travel industry is a good way to do that. And it probably doesn't have all the tooling inside or all the know-how. So you buy some stuff, you acquire some startups, add them together, hopefully it adds up to something that's good. 
we, we don't know, unfortunately, what the terms of the deal were because Airbnb wouldn't tell us. And we and we also don't know much about Urban Door because this is not a company that was venture capital backed. So there was no there's no financing history for us to sort of like be like to, to kind of estimate a deal, a deal size. So truly no idea. We do know that Airbnb did buy Hotel Tonight earlier this year. That was a big acquisition. As you mentioned, this is all part of their IPO. And I still think that Airbnb better acquire that camping startup. Oh, hip camp. Yes. Uh, They haven't done it yet. So you're still not technically correct yet. So we will have to wait and see. Um, But that's all the time we have for this week. You can find us on Twitter. Kate is at Kate Clark tweets. I am at Alex on Twitter. Our email address is equitypod at techwrench.com. And we will be coming at you uh, next week with Dan from Axios. It's going to be a good time. So Kate, I'll see you in Boston and uh, we'll see everyone else here next week. All right. Thanks everyone. All right, everybody, thank you for listening. And a big thank you to our producer, Christopher Gates, our executive producer, Henry Pickovet, and we will see you all right here next week. Yeah, I mean, I think I think when we see, I mean, just beyond tech stocks, I think when we see these like Stark Market, star, Stark, Stark Market. <laughs> <laughs> Stark Market is definitely a thing, I think.